trouble in our family is spelled with a capital C and has been as long as I can remember. The C stands for Charles. He's my older brother, two years and four months older to be exact. Ever since the phone call about him last night, I've felt incredibly tense. And now at this very minute, my parents are driving up to Vermont to Charles's boarding school to find out if he's actually been kicked out or if he's just been suspended again. I tried to take a deep breath. I read an article about relieving tensions in psychology today. You take a deep breath, then count to 10 as you slowly release it. But as I inhaled, I caught the scent of the fresh lilacs on Ms. Lefferts's desk and I started to cough. Ms. Lefferts, my seventh grade English teacher, looked over at me. She was discussing the three most important elements in making a biography come alive for the reader. When I coughed again, she crossed the room and opened two windows from the bottom, letting in the spring breeze. The class was restless, shifting around in their seats, counting the hours till school let out so they could enjoy the first really warm day of the year. But the clock on the wall read 10:17. The day was just beginning. And the date on the chalkboard said Friday, May 8th. Still seven weeks of school to go. I forced my mind back to class. So now that we've come to the end of our unit on biographies, Ms. Lefferts was saying, I have an assignment for you. She walked back to her desk and stood there, looking at us, a half smile on her face. She knows exactly how to get our attention. She makes good use of pregnant pauses. I once used that expression in class and have been paying for it ever since. Now I would know better. Now I would say dramatic pauses. I want you to write a biography of your own lives, Ms. Lefferts continued. Not an autobiography, but a biography. Who can explain the difference? She took a hair clip out of her desk drawer and held it between her teeth while she gathered her streaked blonde hair into a ponytail. She looked around the room as she fastened it, waiting for someone to respond to her question. Max Wilson raised his hand. Yes, Max, Ms. Lefferts said. An autobiography is about the life of a car, Max said. The class cracked up. Ms. Lefferts didn't. Get it? Max asked. Autobiography. Yes, Max, I get it, Ms. Lefferts said. Then she sighed deeply. I cannot believe that just a few months ago I liked Max Wilson. I actually spent the entire seventh grade dance with my head nestled on his shoulder. We even kissed in the parking lot while we were waiting for our rides home. What a revolting thought. Now I understand that I never really liked Max, the person. It's just that he's the only boy in seventh grade who's taller than me. Rachel, Ms. Lefferts said. I snapped to attention. Ms. Lefferts was calling on me even though I hadn't raised my hand. I hate when teachers do that. But I said, the difference between a biography and an autobiography is that in an autobiography, the writer is writing about his or her own life. In a biography, the writer is writing about the life of someone else. Exactly, Ms. Lefferts said. Thank you, Rachel. 
Then she went on to explain that she wants us to write a short biography of our own lives, as if we don't know anything about ourselves until we go to the library to do research. And try to hold it to five pages, please. Ms. Lefferts never says a paper has to be at least five pages. She uses reverse psychology on us. And it always works. I began to think about my biography right away. Luckily, my French teacher was absent, and the substitute told us since she doesn't know one word of French, we could use the period as a study hour. I opened my notebook and started writing, ignoring the kids who were using the period to torture the substitute. Rachel Lewilla Robinson, A Biography Part 1, The Unexpected Visitor Rachel Lewilla Robinson was born tall. The average infant measures 19 inches at birth, but Rachel measured 23. She was the third child born to Nell and Victor Robinson, following Jessica, who was four, and Charles, who was 28 months. The Robinsons had planned on only two children, so Rachel was, as they sometimes put it, the unexpected visitor. From her mother, Rachel inherited her height and her curly auburn hair. From her father, dark eyes and a love of music. Although her mother was from Boston and her father from Brooklyn, the Robinsons settled in Connecticut to raise their family, in an area of cluster housing called Palfrey's Pond, located just one hour from New York City by train. Nell Robinson liked to say Rachel was mature from the day she was born. She was born 35, Mrs. Robinson joked with her friends. But obviously that wasn't true. Rachel was born a baby like everyone else. She just did things a little earlier. For example, at eight months, Rachel was walking. At 18 months, she was speaking in three-word sentences. She could read at three, and at four, she could pick out tunes on the piano. Her favorite was the theme from Sesame Street, which Jessica and Charles watched on TV every day. Rachel's first memory was of Charles biting her on the leg right above her knee. She was barely two at the time. By first grade, it occurred to Rachel that she was different. As her classmates were learning to read, she was finishing the Beverly Cleary books and starting the Little House set. As they were learning to add and subtract simple numbers, she enjoyed adding up long columns of figures, especially the register tape from the supermarket. This difference did not make her happy.